Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. All right, good morning, everybody. How are you this morning? Anyone? How are you this morning? Good. Oh, okay, good. Excellent. Good morning to all of you watching online. Good morning to all of you up in Port Perry. We're so glad that you're joining us this morning. Well, we have had a lot going on in our church in the last four or five weeks. We've talked a lot about it from to worship to the Alpha thing that's taking place this week to a group in a box and on and on. Amazing, just one story as I get going. We launched another 15 Connect groups just alone last week in our community. Wasn't that amazing? So we're just so, so again, pleased by that. But uh, today, if we haven't done enough in our community, we wanted to launch one more thing because, you know, it's September And uh, we work really hard in this community to be crystal clear about what we are, what we're doing, where we're going, what we think God is asking us to do. If you've been part of our church for only a few weeks or you've been part of our church for years, you know that our mission and our vision are clear. Let me read you our mission statement again. The reason why we exist at C4, the reason why we do everything that we do in this community is to glorify God by enabling people of all ages to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. Now, many of you might be asking or should be asking, well, what do you mean by fully devoted? Or what in the world does a fully devoted follower of Jesus really look like? I mean, how do you measure that? Some of us who gather week in and week out, or maybe it's your first time today, you're a skeptic or a seeker or a brand new Christian, and you have no starting point or idea at all. Then others of us who are sitting here today or watching online or wherever you might be have been walking with Jesus for a while and you actually have a group of words or ideas that help you understand what it is to follow Jesus. And yet when you hang out with other Christians from other churches or even in our own church, they have other words that describes the same thing and then we all end up in confusion. Then lots of us who have moved into the area have come from other churches and they talk about this very conversation about being a disciple or follower of Jesus from a whole other place or perspective. So C4, we need a common script so we can all keep walking together, to pioneer together in the same direction with the same understanding as we personally and as a church choose to follow Jesus, the author and the pioneer and the perfecter of our faith. But I don't want us to get ahead of ourselves yet. Before we talk about and start taking the next step as a whole church family this morning to outline what we mean here at C4 by fully devoted follower and then personally actually invite the whole community to actually see where we all are on that journey, we all need to stop and ask, well, what is a follower of Jesus, even let alone a fully devoted one? Now, the original word and the original idea in our movement wasn't uh, follower or Christian, It was the word disciple. Now, disciple is a churchy word now. It's an ancient word. It's an old idea. And even many of us who have done church for a long time, when you actually ask yourself the question, well, what is a disciple? We'd come up with a thousand answers or we wouldn't know. I'd like to start this morning by quoting a guy named Ray Vanderland who spent his lifetime studying what discipleship looked like in a first century context in a Jewish community. And I want you to listen really closely this morning, whether you're a skeptic or a seeker, a brand new Christian, or you've been a Christian for a while. Because as I read this description, you should be asking yourself, am I a disciple? Do I want to be a disciple? And does that even actually outline my life? He starts writing like this. Like other rabbis, religious teachers of the day, Jesus had disciples. The disciples' deepest desire was to follow their teacher so closely 
that they'd start to think like him and they'd start to act like him. Now just stop and think about that. Their whole life goal was to think and act like another person. Like other rabbis of his day, Jesus had disciples, devout followers who probably started in their mid-teens. Gifted students would always approach a rabbi and ask, may I follow you? In effect saying, do I have what it takes to be like you? And the rabbi in that moment would either accept the student and they would become a disciple or send him away to pursue a trade. So can I be your disciple? Yes, you may. No, go be a plumber, a nurse, or a doctor. You didn't cut the grade. Okay. Now, what's wild, and most of us don't get this who grew up in church, Jesus broke this whole pattern when he started to choose his own disciples. He would go and ask disciples to follow him, so they knew without a doubt that their rabbi already believed in them. A disciple would follow the rabbi everywhere, often without knowing or asking even where you would be going. He rarely would leave the rabbi's side for fear he'd miss that teachable moment. He would watch the rabbi's every move, noting how he acted through a variety of situations. Uh, Disciples trusted their rabbis completely. They worked passionately to incorporate, incorporate the rabbi's actions and words right into their life. The disciples' deepest desire was to follow their rabbi so closely that they'd start to think like him and act like him. Or maybe to make it a simple, Ray in another area said this, a disciple wanted to be so close to their rabbi or their master that they'd want to be covered in the dust of the feet as he walked. So number one, you need to understand that if you come from a North American background, there is no room for personal space in this conversation. This is all in. And it's thinking and becoming like the one that you are following. So here's the next question we need to ask this morning. Okay, if we are going to follow Jesus, if you've made that decision or are considering it, that is to become like Jesus and follow Jesus closely, to be covered in his dust metaphorically, to think and act like him, then you need to ask, well, where can I find Jesus to know him, to be like him, to hear from him, to be transformed by him? How do I find the one that I'm supposedly following? So let me stop this morning. And I want to re-preach a mini version of what I did in the spring because actually what I was doing in the spring was a setup for today. Here's what I asked our whole community. Is there guaranteed places of encounter between ordinary everyday people and Jesus in this world? If I walk in certain environments, if I walk in certain places, if I do certain practices... Will I always find Jesus? Is that even a right expectation? Because if you want to become a disciple, you have to follow him. And to follow him, you have to find him. Now, the answer is yes. Though God is omnipresent, meaning that God is everywhere, there are places according to the scriptures, the Bible, where God always comes close. Now, I don't know if you remember this conversation, but by the way, this is extremely important as we move forward as a church. The very first thing I started saying is this. The very first guaranteed place of encounter is the actual good news about Jesus. Here's how Paul articulated this idea in Romans 1.16. He says, I am not ashamed of the good news of Jesus, the gospel, because the gospel has the power of God for the salvation for anyone who believes, first for Jews, then for non-Jews. 
Now, the word power in this verse, like I've shared before, is where we get our modern English word dynamite from. In other words, the gospel contained within itself has the sheer power. It has the dynamic. It literally is the place where the Holy Spirit brings the whole of God the Father's calling, predestined, electing work, and the whole of Jesus' work, prayers, dying on the cross, rising from the dead, into effect, into an average life right in that moment. In other words, here's what we need to grasp this morning. The Holy Spirit is always around, above, below, behind, the giving of the good news of Jesus. Whether someone accepts it or not is a different conversation. But let me guarantee this. When the good news of Jesus is shared in vast numbers or one-on-one over a latte, Jesus is always present when the gospel is given. And by the way, if you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus... This is where you begin your journey to ask the question about discipleship. Have you actually embraced him? Not just the idea that he was here or a good moral teacher. Have you said that Jesus is God in flesh who died for your sins, rose from the dead physically, and he's the only way back to the Father, and if you trust in him, you will be saved? Have you even said yes to that? That's the door that opens all the other doors. But what we need to understand, because so many people in this community think if there are no results, Jesus wasn't present. No, when the gospel is shared, Jesus is always found. Now, the second guaranteed place of encounter between God and his people is the scriptures, the Bible. The Bible is always a guaranteed place of encounter. The Holy Spirit is always present, always overshadowing his words. Here's how Paul sort of summarized the idea of scripture as a whole view. In 2 Timothy 3.16, many of you know this verse, all scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness. Oh, by the way, do you see all the discipleship language in there? Training to be like the rabbi so that the servant, the slave of God, the disciple of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. See, the Holy Spirit is always about leading every single one of us into God's truth, what we call the holy faith passed down. And let me just say it again. And where is Jesus found? I love what years ago Luther said during the Reformation. He said, the Bible is the manger in which we find the Christ child and Christ himself. So where are all of God's stories found? And where are God's thoughts found? And where are all of his revelations and his promises and his commands? How do we know who God is? Where are the teaching of the apostles? Well, it's the Bible. The scripture, the written word of God. See, the Holy Spirit not only leads us, he teaches us. He actually also is the author of the scriptures. And like I've preached three times in this last year, there might be 66 books and numerous authors over thousands of years, but behind them all is one author. The Holy Spirit will lead us and speak to us through and form us by the Bible. That is why the Holy Spirit's name is the spirit of truth. And if you end up rejecting the scripture, you will end up rejecting the author the scriptures, the Holy Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one true God. And let me say this again. I know I'm repeating this, but it is critical in this moment in church history in the West. And if you start hearing people in church circles saying or putting out memes on the internet that inference this, well, you know, actually, Jesus didn't talk about that subject, so we can make the decision we want, or Paul got that wrong, or they didn't understand because it was so long ago, run far away from those people. 
The Spirit of God is called in the Scriptures the Spirit of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit is the one that God the Father used to breathe out this book. So here's the inference we all need to connect. If James or Jude or Moses or Jeremiah or Solomon or John or Luke or Paul or anyone spoke or wrote about anything, Jesus has talked about it because Jesus' Spirit is the author of the Scriptures and the Father used the Spirit to breathe out the book. Jesus is God and this is his book and he is always speaking if you would dare to open it up. There is unity in the vast diversity. And like I shared in the spring, the image in my mind is the Holy Spirit is always hovering over the scriptures and speaking and pointing and illuminating. And you can never divorce the written word of God from the living word spirit. And you can never understand the scriptures without the author being in the room with you. Every time you open the scriptures, you will find Jesus and he will speak. Now, the third place of guaranteed encounter are spiritual disciplines. We've talked so much about this in our church. Spiritual disciplines, we say here at CIFAR, are the only ongoing guaranteed place of uh, transformation and hearing post-conversion. That is, after you've met God through Christ. These holy habits keep the relationship that you already have through Jesus healthy, right, and balanced after you say yes. And Jesus used them to walk with the Father. So to be like Jesus, to actually be a disciple of Jesus, to actually have his lifestyle, you need to imitate his lifestyle. And his lifestyle is based in spiritual disciplines. They provide the ongoing dynamic experience in our static positional reality that God has given us in the heavenlies. They help to begin to close the holiness issue among us. They give us script to talk to each other about spiritual growth. Here are some of the examples. Simplicity confession of your sins to each other, prayer, fasting, service, solitude, study, silence, etc. Now the fourth guaranteed place of encounter are spiritual gifts. And we've talked about this a hundred times more in this church. Why do we talk about them? Because they're the only ongoing place of heaven given power to do Jesus' work on earth. And like we've learned over the last two years in our church, Jesus himself used spiritual gifts. And since Paul calls us the literal body of Christ on earth, we also have the same gifts that Jesus used. And if we're going to imitate Jesus, then we have to use the power he walked in. That is to act like our rabbi. Now, gifts are related to doing things for God. The fruit of the Spirit, if you know that phrase, is about being We all don't have all 21 gifts, each one of us, but we all are called to grow in the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And like we've learned time and time again, natural gifts and learned abilities, things that you're born with, and people think that that you learn from other people can be used for God's kingdom. And so can our programs, and so can even our vision. But they are not guaranteed places of ongoing power. This is why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 12, 11, all these gifts are the work of the one and same Holy Spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. The Holy Spirit's presence is guaranteed every time we use spiritual gifts right because they are the God-given place to serve from. And actually, if God isn't present in the room, they'll never work because it's his power, not our power in the first place. In other words, he gives you the car and the gas to even drive. Now, the next place of guaranteed encounter to find Jesus so you can walk with him and be like him is gathered worship, what we're doing at this very moment here at Ajax, up in Port Perry, and wherever you might be listening, in PEI or somewhere else. And here's what I've preached multiple times. Forgive me for the repetition, but I hear that we forget things, so let me do it again. What happens when we worship together? I mean, what happens when we sing and we give together 
and we read the scriptures together. Honestly, sometimes it's amazing and sometimes it's boring. Sometimes we're inspired. Sometimes we don't care. There's a thousand things that happen before you walk into a worship experience. There's your personality and there's your music preference and style and there's your day and your week and your friends and your kids and fill in the blank. But let's, let me just say this again. It bears repeating. If we as a church over the long haul want to be marked by passionate worship, then you actually have to start believing and accepting what the Bible says is happening in this moment as I'm speaking right now. Like I shared a few months ago, 10 minutes ago, when we were singing, three months ago when we were singing together, we actually drew near to God and entered the place where angels fear to tread. And like I've been preaching over the last two years, we have to remember what that environment looks like. What does every single church service look like, whether it's small or large? There's great production with all sorts of smokes and lights, or every single person is singing off-key and can't play anything for God's help. Okay, what does the real environment look like, whether it's in a cathedral, in a house church, whether the service uses bells and smells, or everyone's speaking in tongues, hopefully there's translation, hymns, courses, loud, soft, traditional, transitional, contemporary, or new? When we accept what actually heaven's view of it is, suddenly the encounter of Jesus grows because we believe what he says. Revelation 5.11 allows us to peek into the environment that is actually happening at this moment. He says, then I looked and I heard the voices of angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000 and they circled the throne and the living creatures and the elders and a loud voice they were saying, notice who's in the middle of it all. Worthy is the Lamb, Jesus, who was slain to receive power, wealth, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, and praise. See, this is not just metaphor or poetic license. When we gather together as a church to sing, when we gather in environments like this, we literally enter through Jesus into the holy presence of God with all the angels and every single person who's died who's already with Jesus, and actually we enter into the place that if we did not have Jesus' covering, we would die. In other words, here's what we need to catch this morning. We are in the presence of Jesus literally right now. Do you actually even believe this? And here's the thing that actually changed in my own life. Two years ago when I started taking this seriously, I started when I came to church saying out loud while I drove in the car, I am about to encounter the living God of heaven and earth. No matter who's preaching or whoever's leading this morning, I am about to meet Jesus. I said it this morning when I drove here. See, when you come with right expectation, no matter how much sleep or little sleep you got the night before, no matter how your kids were, listen, when you declare out loud, I am about to come into the environment of God, your expectation changes and you will encounter Jesus. What does it say in the Psalms? God inhabits, lives in the praises of his people. It says in James, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. We host his presence. As I've preached so many times before, Paul As an Orthodox Jew 2,000 years ago, while the temple in Jerusalem had not yet been destroyed, uttered the most radical things when he said that Christians, both Jews and non-Jews, are now the literal temple of God. And the thing going on actually in Jerusalem didn't matter anymore. In other words, the Bible teaches that when we gather, this is why Jesus said what he said even before the Holy Spirit came. Where two or three gather in my name, I am present. So let's do math. Are there more than two of us here today? Yes or no? 
Yes, then Jesus Christ is literally in Ajax right now. He's literally in Port Perry right now. He is present when we gather together. And when we gather together, we will find him. And when we find him, we can become more like him. That is why this, for example, can never, ever be optional in a Christian's life. Now, another guaranteed place of encounter is communion. Do we actually believe at C4 that God becomes like he's in the elements of juice or wine or bread? No. But we also reject the idea it's just bare memorial. We do not believe that God is just absent from the conversation. Think about the word you've heard before about communion. Maybe you come from a different tradition. Communion, the Lord's Supper, Eucharist, uh, the breaking of bread. Is it a place of remembrance? Of course it is. I mean, we read about this in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty six. It is a place where we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is when we gather together. Of course it is. And we celebrate Jesus' death and resurrection. It is a place that we actually confess our sins and we're reassured that one day we're going to be with him again. But it's not just remembrance. Think about the English word communion. To commune. Think about the word. It actually means that the place and environment where we are with each other is also with Jesus. We're not called to be alone. It's not good for us to be alone. And the meal, no matter how it is served, is always hosted by Jesus himself. And so when we take communion, whether it's past or come forward, whether it's done in a connect group or a crot, listen, when we take communion together, Jesus is there hosting the meal. Is Jesus the bread and juice? No. He, they don't turn into anything. But they are reminding us that he's actually with us. And like I've preached twice in the last year, it's a place of forgiveness. Remember when I said these words, aren't you glad that Jesus keeps eating with us? When Jesus was around in the Gospels, right, he was always eating with people, but always the wrong people. He was always with a collaborator, like a tax collector or a sex trade worker. And the Pharisees of the day said, you know, if you hang out with bad people, God will think you are bad too. And Jesus said, are you joking me? That's the John Thompson paraphrase, by the way. He, he's like, I'm not going to be contaminated by their sin. I've actually come because people who are sick need a doctor. I haven't come for the good people or the righteous people who think they're, no, I've come for people who know they're in trouble. And then he ate with sinners. Remember what I said to us? Aren't you glad that week in and week out when we serve communion here, actually Jesus keeps eating with sinners, i.e. all of us, because we're all pretty messed up and screwed up and have done a lot of things that we regret. And yet when we come to the communion table, what does Jesus keep telling us? God's mercies are new every morning, that his forgiveness is true. And when he died on the cross and said it is finished, he meant it. And in communion, we get to know that Jesus loves us all the time. It's a guaranteed place of encountering Jesus. And so is water baptism. Do we believe that you get the Holy Spirit when you're water baptized? No. That happens at conversion. Do we believe that the act of getting immersed in water saves you? Not at all. But here's what we do know about baptism. Baptism, which is that outward symbol of an inward work, always is accompanied by the presence of Jesus. You know what we do here all the time. We talk about baptism, right, like a wedding ring. Baptism is the wedding ring. It's when you put it on and you declare, no, no, I'm given to Jesus and I'm unavailable to anyone else. And, and it's like when the vows are said. And what we need to remember every time we see a baptism is this. It's not just a symbol in the sense of uh, death and resurrection. We talk about it. It's more than that. See, here's a middle aisle in a church right here. And, and can you imagine a bride walking down this aisle and the groom says, yeah, 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 I'm not going to show up for the vows or put on the ring because I love her. Do you think that's going to go well the next day? 
Not at all. Let me tell you, every single time someone declares Jesus is their Savior and the Lord, Jesus is standing beside that tank and we know he is present. That's why, think about this in Matthew 28, Jesus' last words that connect baptism right into discipleship. Therefore, go and make converts, go and make Christians, go and make nominal Christians who think it's a good moral religion. No, no, no. Go and make disciples, people who will think like me and act like me and do it from just a certain group. No, no, all nations. And you baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Oh, notice, discipleship. And teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, guaranteed presence to the very end of the age. The very last guaranteed place of encounter is suffering for the sake of the good news. Suffering provides the environment to be like Christ. Do you remember what Peter wrote in 1 Peter 2.21? This is to what you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example. Oh, now just think about the definition of discipleship again. A disciple follows so closely after the rabbi, they want to imitate them in every single way. Leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Suffering is part of the average Christian life's experience, and Jesus' suffering is an example. I'm not talking about suffering randomly, and I'm not talking about suffering because you rob a store and then you get in jail and go, I'm suffering for Christ. No, you were stupid. Don't do that again. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about when you suffer for the sake of Jesus. And like I preached before, and let me do it again, what has struck me so much about Paul's life is this. When Paul is sitting in a jail in his 80s, I suppose, somewhere around there, however he was, how old he was. And he had lost possibly his wife, but absolutely his family and his job and his standing and lost his reputation and had been beat up multiple times for Jesus and been shipwrecked. In his latter years, as he's in a jail cell, he writes a book called Philippians about joy. Just think about that for a moment. And then he utters these words. And remember, Paul converted when Jesus showed up personally to him. And it says in the scriptures, somehow Paul was taken up into the third heaven and he's not even allowed to talk about it. And then he utters these words near the end of his life. I want to know Christ. You're like, excuse me? You want to know Jesus more? It's like, yes, I want to know Christ. And I want to know the power of his resurrection. And I want to participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in death, so somehow I can attain the resurrection from the dead. He said, I want to know and be a disciple in every way. The gospel, scripture, spiritual discipline, spiritual gifts, worship, communion, baptism, suffering, none of these things save us. But they give environment and strength for the Holy Spirit to encourage us, rebuke us, correct us. They place us in the presence of Jesus to hear from him who takes us to the Father. But never forget this. All these environments lose power when you live a life that's contradictory to the one you're trying to meet. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians 4.30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit who you've been sealed by the day for the day of redemption. Don't live in a way that contradicts what you already are. Don't push down or attack or cause pain or ignore God's spirit in you. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, gifts don't disappear. They just lose power. When you grieve the Holy Spirit, spiritual practices become powerless because actually you don't really want to meet the one you're trying to give space to. Don't grieve him because if you grieve him, the one you're supposedly going to meet is actually going to be pushed into a corner. So, We now know what a real disciple is. We actually know where we're going to find the person we're trying to follow. And now here's the question. 
how in the world does discipleship work out practically for every single one of us, no matter if we are a stay-at-home mom and dad or a doctor or a nurse or a, a plumber or a student, no matter your age, whether you're eight, how do we do this? So today we want to take a moment to unveil this new language that's going to help us move forward so we have one understanding and one common script so we can all to see if we actually want to become fully devoted followers. Now, it's not just the language that's going to matter today for us, by the way, because actually what we're going to also have is a very simple tool that's going to allow us to have a real conversation about discipleship and an honest place for personal evaluation. And when you go through this little exercise, number one, you're going to ask, am I a disciple? And if number two, you say, I am a disciple, then you're going to be able to map where you are on the journey. So, okay, ushers, here's what I need you to do. I need you to stand up right now, please. And we're going to do this. We're going to take a moment and just you start passing them out immediately. Right across this whole site at Ajax, and then all of you up in Port Perry, this is going to happen. Every one of you is about to receive a little booklet. And every single one of us is going to go through this together. And why? just pass them right down the rows, okay? If you are watching online, we'll make a digital copy of this so you can do this too. We're going to have these. So what we're going to do together, we're going to have a very practical moment in our service together. Every person, whether you're a teenager here today, you're in junior high, senior high, you're a young adult, you're brand new to a church, every person, please take one of these. You just pass them down the rows. And what we're going to do together is we're going to talk about what discipleship actually looks like. Now, as they're going to be passed out, I'm going to give you five phrases. There are five phrases that we're going to use all together moving forward that outline what we think discipleship looks like. And here they simply are. We're going to celebrate big. We're going to connect small. We're going to walk with Jesus. We're going to share in the work. And we're going to engage in mission. Does everyone pass them out? Great. They're almost done. Thank you. Ushers, make sure you take one for yourself. Up at the top, by the way, they are actually on each side. You can get them up there too. There's some tables there for you. By the way, all the children's workers have got one today. All our youth workers have got one today. Okay, everyone got them? Can you just, can you just uh, put them up so I can see you've got them? Everyone in the back? Excellent. Excellent. Wonderful. Okay, so here we go. Celebrate big, connect small, walk with Jesus, share the work, engage in mission. Why are we taking the time to do this? Because so many of us who have grown up in church still don't know truly how to evaluate where we are with Jesus and our discipleship. So here's what we want to do. Number one, celebrate big. Let's do this like junior highs. Can you repeat that? Celebrate big. Good, excellent. Someone's like, oh my goodness, I've joined a cult. Not really, it's okay. All right. We believe in celebrating God together in big gatherings. We see this in our early Christian movement. If you read the book of Acts, they met in the temple courts with three to 5,000 people. Like the early church, we believe we need to rally and love and we're drawn into large gatherings where preaching, teaching, worship, prayer, and giving and communion are done so we all encounter Jesus together and to help us spur on in the areas we've been called to live. Now, whether we're going through a discouraging season or a great season, we see biblically that we're called to celebrate the goodness of God, whether we're going through a real tough time or an amazing time. But we want to celebrate big. And why? Here's what I want to remind everyone. We want to celebrate worship style together because Jesus is always with us when we gather. That is why celebrating big is central to the idea of discipleship. And by the way, I remind you, Jesus is not only here at communion, at teaching, at preaching, at public singing and giving. Remember, Jesus himself gathered in large gatherings all the time to worship. 
Here's the second thing. We want to connect small. Let's all say it together. Okay, in Acts 2.46, it reads like this. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Right in the very first DNA statement of the early church, we see large gatherings and small gatherings. They did life together. They ate together. They shared together. They helped together. They had close relationship with one another. Now, the same is true for us here at C4. We believe that connecting small is just as important as connecting big. And we call it in our church, connect groups, a place where someone notices your spiritual growth and cares about you when a tough thing happens. Connecting small is about authentic relationships, unpacking your walk with Jesus, how sermons are affecting you, trusting others. It's where we pray, we eat, we learn, we support, and we care. These are all the great gifts of a small gathering. And why again do we do it? I just want to remind you because Jesus practiced this for over three years. He hung out with 12 people for his whole ministry life. And by the way, where two or three Christians gather what? Jesus is present. So we actually believe in celebrating big. We believe in connecting small. Here's the next one. Let's say it together. Walk with Jesus. Can we all say that? Wow, you're very traditional. Okay. Uh, Walk with Jesus. We see that the early church devoted themselves to things like the apostles' teaching. Now, we at C4 can provide connect groups, and we can provide environments like this. We can provide serving opportunities locally and globally. But we cannot force you to spend time with Jesus. I cannot come to your house and make you open a version app and read Scripture. Every person within the sound of my voice has to take personal responsibility for their own walk with Christ. And that is why we talk about spiritual disciplines like scripture reading or prayer or meditation. These are guaranteed places. An ongoing rhythm between you and Jesus is key. Reading your Bible or praying or listening to Jesus, why? Because the Father and Jesus show us how to do this. We also recommend, by the way, in this church that you discover your sacred pathway. You're like, is that some new age seminar? Absolutely not. Sacred Pathways, it's actually a book that we use, helps you understand by your personality how you will naturally connect with God better. Now, when we regularly walk with Jesus, it's not always fire from heaven. Gabriel doesn't always show up. But when you prioritize time with Jesus daily or weekly in an intentional way, we know because the scriptures promise it that Jesus will show up over time and change you. And here's the other thing we all need to say. You cannot give away what you do not have. You cannot talk about what you do not know. And so we all need to commit to walking with Jesus personally. And why? Because Jesus, because we're trying to follow him, Walked with the Father in this way. So we're going to commit to celebrating big. We're going to commit to connecting small. And we're going to commit to personally walk with Jesus. Now here's the next one. Share the work. Please sit a little bit more impassionately. Very good. Thank you, Port Perry, too. Awesome. Okay. We believe that God has uniquely given Christian spiritual gifts. I've talked about this this morning and a thousand times before. And why do we harp on this all the time? Oh, here's why. Because this is how the world gets changed and Jesus used gifts. And by the way, when you know your spiritual gifts and you use them, joy comes from that and actually burnout rates drop in churches because there's a power source that's actually beyond your personality. And we start seeing unity between each other because actually we can't be independent or deep. We have to become interdependent and the temptation in church to say, well, you need to be like me or I need to be like you or why don't you love God more completely disappears because spiritual gift orientation shows us how we're sovereignly supposed to work together. Oh, and why do we do this? Because here it is again, Jesus did this and if we're going to keep growing like him, we have to imitate him. So we all need to be involved, not just in volunteerism. We all need to be serving 
giving our time and doing it within our gift orientation because that's how God has designed the church. Here's the last one, engage in mission. Can we say that together? Excellent. There is immense generosity shown in the life of Jesus and in the first description of Acts chapter 2 of the church. Now, what does engaging in mission look like? There are three things. Number one, we're called to take the gospel to our friends, family, and neighborhood. We're supposed to be generous with the good news. Second, we're called, and we unashamedly talk about this at C4, we are called to give our time and our money and invest in things that last. We want to be a generous church where we declare that our time and money are actually owned by God and actually they don't become idols. Generosity always marks a follower of Jesus. And beyond, by the way, giving your time and your money locally to this church, this is why we have established in our church local and global partnerships so we can go overseas or locally here and sit with Christians in other contexts and learn from them and support them and make sure that there's long-term life-giving relationship. So we actually believe engaging in mission has to do with sharing the gospel and giving of your time and money and also locally and globally helping the global church do what it's called to do. Engaging in mission through Jesus, when you begin to do this, you will begin to hang out with people you don't usually hang out with and you'll begin to actually love people you never thought you would love. And that, by the way, is always a sign that Jesus is showing up in a really messed up world. Anyone want to say amen to that, right? Right. Now, don't misunderstand what we just did. Because some of you are already doing this. I sense it in the room. You're making a checklist. Stop it. If you grew up in church, you're like, okay, if I just do these five things, check, 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 I'm a great. No. We have designed this to be a continuum, not a linear experience. Because there's always places to improve in our walk with Jesus. Think about what I just said, by the way, back 30 minutes ago. And here's what I need to really have us get before we do the exercise together. Ready? This isn't about duty. This isn't about burdensome duty. This is about love. Remember what I said just 30 minutes ago. What did Jesus do to break all the rules about discipleship 2,000 years ago? Jesus, what? Chose his own disciples. You don't come to Jesus and say, will you take me? Jesus shows up in your life and says, I am going to take you. You're going to be my disciple. He said this in John 12. You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I chose you, and actually I love you, and I'm going to give you fruit, fruit that's going to last. So the idea is that Jesus initiates this for us. He loves us. And so he has loved us so much and revealed who the Father is and forgiven us. We then as disciples are not duty-bound to see if maybe he loves us. We want to run into the environments where Jesus is because we want to be like him because his love is that good and that sweet to follow him. That's the difference between dead religion and walking in a vital relationship with God. I love the prayer I read this week in my own devotional. God who is very near. You never insisted we show our spiritual mettle by going on epic journeys. You never asked to accomplish heroic feats to prove our worthiness. You've given us a ladder to climb up to your heavenly heights because you came near to us. Help us grasp the life you offer in the one who came down from heaven for us and who is our salvation. Amen. I could say amen. Anyone else want to say amen to that? Amen. So God loves us through Jesus, and we love Jesus so much we want to be in the areas where he is so we can be changed over time and become like him. And here's what I'm just trying to get us all to understand today. The more you hang out in places where Jesus is always found, the more you will actually begin to grow in these areas. Now, we've chosen just one idea, one image, one icon to help us get this. And the reason why we've chosen it is because it's simple You can do it under six seconds on a napkin or an iPad anywhere else. 
and it's going to help everyone. And some of you know that my father is a pretty well-known artist. I have none of that at all. Good. Okay. So this is all I want to do. One, two, three, four, five. You look at your books. You see this all over the book. Like, John, what am I looking at? What's your interpretation? Okay, ready? Here we go. This is me. That's you. And what we've decided to do is this. These five stems, these five areas, are the five areas of guaranteed encounter. And what we want everyone to start thinking about is this, okay, where are you on the continuum of each one of these? So you can say, oh my goodness, celebrate big all the time. I'm here like all the time, like six out of six all the time. But actually, you know what? I, I, I never connect small. I'm like, actually, I'm here. And you can very quickly visually start to see where you actually need to start growing. You can see where you're doing really well, where you don't think you're doing really well, and begin to unpack it. And here's why we want everyone to do this, because we want to do this. So if you open your book, and right on page 9, can you just turn to page 9? It's like a hymnal. Turn to page 9. Some of you don't even know what I'm talking about. That's okay. But page 9. This is what we're asking everyone to do this week. We want you to read through this booklet. This is the takeaway from this message. We want you to read this booklet. We want you to really think about the descriptions of these guaranteed places of encounter. And then we want you to honestly put a dot where you think you are on celebrate big, engage in mission, connecting small, walking with Jesus, share the work. Because you need to see honestly where you think you're at. No one else is telling you, you need to go, oh my goodness. I'm doing really well here, and, and why are we doing this? Well, we all know that we're not going to start growing in all five directions, but what we want everyone to do across the church is this. This week, we want you to take a moment, all of us together. This is a very significant moment for our church if we do this. Every single teenager in our church, every single young adult, every single adult, honestly takes 10 minutes with Jesus and says, what do you think and what do you say where I'm at in my discipleship? And you mark it honestly, and then you say to Jesus these words. What are the one or two areas this year alone you want me to grow in the continuum? So if you say Jesus is actually, you know what, I want you to grow and engage in mission, and you're here, then you're like, okay, my goal is going to be down there. Now what we've done in the booklet is on the next page, we've given you all sorts of helpful tips of how to take the next steps forward. It might be that you go, you know what, John, I'm the person who comes to church one of the six. And I know that that's actually not biblical and it's not right. And I'm, I'm actually making myself spiritually famined. So you know what, I'm going to come three of the six and that's my commitment. Great. Or you could say, you know what, I've never done connect group ever, or I used to do connect group, but I got burned years ago and I don't want to do that. Oh, hold on. Then you go, you know what, on one of the three semesters that you do, I'm going to do one this year. Great. Or you can say, you know what, I never volunteer. Or you know what, I never give. Or actually I give, but I know I'm supposed to give more. Like, however you work it out, you make the decision and you're doing it, let me say this again, because you want to get closer to Jesus and walk with him. Not so C4 gets a better reputation. It's about you and Christ. And so you do this at home this week. You do a self-evaluation. You talk to Jesus about it. If you're comfortable, you talk to others who know you spiritually and say, where do you think I'm at? You fill it out. You make the decision of where the next one or two areas you're going to grow in. You make the decision. And what's going to be the result? Okay, so everyone just look up at me for a second. I want you to hear this. Poor Perry, okay? 
What would be the result if a whole church of 2,500 people actually did this? Here's what will happen. The whole church will encounter Jesus more because the Bible says we will. You'll find Jesus more. You'll suddenly know where you are on your journey with Jesus. You'll be able to talk more easily with others across our church about it. And then you'll know where you're supposed to go next. And when you make the decision to go somewhere next, suddenly that means that thousands of people in our church are taking steps towards Jesus. And I guarantee you this, the whole atmosphere of the church will change. Why? Because everyone's closer to Jesus. This is not rocket science. What this actually is, is basic discipleship. So the takeaway today is, do you actually believe that you're a disciple? Question one. Question two, do you actually believe what the Bible says about guaranteed places of encounter? Do you come expectant? Number three, do you actually know where you are in your journey? Number four, are you willing to take time this week to really honestly do this? And number five, are you willing to let Jesus show you where you need to go next? This is what we're asking the whole church to do so we can move forward. And now this, from this day forward, becomes the language for our church. At every site we launch, as new people join our church, they say, what is a fully devoted? Go, here it is. Make sense to everyone? Yes or no? Help the teacher. Yeah, go, okay, good. All right, let's stand together and let's uh, pray over this process that we're about to do. So Lord, thanks for this moment. Thanks for this uh, opportunity we have to do this together. And we just pray that you would now superintend this whole conversation. So as literally hundreds and thousands of people across our church take time with you this week, help them now, Lord Jesus, very specifically to hear what you think and where to go next. So we commit all of this to you now in the name of Jesus. All of God's people said, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.